Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So, I was going to start, what was I going to start with? Um, yeah, I've been recording for three and a half minutes, so. <laughs> I got this great, I got this great press release, which arrived this morning, it's so funny. Oh, go on. It says, um, it's from somebody called... Oh, um, don't say the name, because it's on the podcast. Well, wouldn't it matter? Well, well, it's just right, such, such a funny name. Now, you see, this is Selena Wagstaff. That's an interesting that's question. That's a funny name. That's an interesting it? question She's about press releases. Why oh, do you write a press release? Well, to get it taken notice of. Well, one of the forms of having notice taken of it is to if it, is for it to be looked at in less than respectful terms. Are you prepared to take that or not? Well, it's publicity, isn't it? We're talking it's all about publicity. It. I've never heard of Selena Wagstaff. She's the arts administrator from uh, some company. I can't work out who they are. She's somewhere in Ipswich. And she says... Um, Dear Mark, there is currently a great buzz about the Tudors and Anne Boleyn at the moment. <laughs> is there really? I just thought no, it was absolutely... But no, no, I'm, not, I'm not being unfair to Selena. But I just thought it was just richly common. And they reformed. <laughs> yeah, the Tudors. And three more from the Tudors. Yeah. There's no the idea they should never have broken up. No. Why did they break up all those wars? They had a lot of wars, didn't they? A lot of internal conflict. Uh, no, they... Uh, I thought it was just so funny, the idea that you apply those kind of modern... That modern terminology to... Something that happened in where it was, yeah, was it yeah, the yeah. 16th century. I don't know. Well, to be fair, there is a little bit of a buzz about the Tudors, isn't there? Because there's that appalling TV series that uh, appears to be quite popular, which is you know the Tudors revisited as if it was Dallas or something like that. This uh, is what she alludes to in this. I think it is. Yeah, and, is. Uh, That's what's and caused the heat. Wasn't there an Anne Boleyn event of some kind recently? I can't remember. There was. They're, they're, they're really far away. These things are. You know, the, the Tudors are one of the staples of popular entertainment. They're like got, Hitler, as they're we were like Hitler. They're, they're got, this is a, uh, they've got a production here. It's a passionate story of betrayal and jealousy, showing us the true heart of Queen Anne Boleyn. That's <laughs> brilliant. Every single old story is being reactivated, isn't it? Of course, that's the other thing about uh, Anne Boleyn's Wolf Hall, wasn't it? Last year's Booker winner, the uh, Wolf Hall okay. by uh, Hillary Mantle. It's, I remember when there's a lovely bit in Dylan's um, Chronicles where he was, he's writing about his time in New York City when he just arrived. He must have been about 18 or 19 or something, and he spends the whole time in the library mugging up on events around the Dust Bowl in the 1920s, because that's the area he's really interested in. And, um, you know, sinking the Titanic said, these seem like hot stories to me. I love the idea that it's the same thing, is it? These were smoking hot to but him. To Topical fair, stories were to things fair, like... they are kind of hot stories. Oh, they are. I mean, Titanic, you know, remains in the it public does. imagination in the way that Lusitania... There's an exhibition like. just about open in London. Yeah. Isn't there? You can go and see, um, you know, cutlery yeah. and crockery re- recovered see, from... See, my the, question about Titanic is... Is there a statue of limitations on uh, human tragedies? Because when Titanic was a huge hit, we weren't thinking about it as a tragedy, really. We were thinking about it as a rollicking good thrill ride, yeah, weren't we? Yeah, a love story. Whereas if it Very happened last year, 
you know, you know, it's it's an event, you know, like the you know the the twin tower. Absolutely, it? you know. And at some point, do the any does everything get recycled as kind of just good old entertainment? It's like the Tudors are a classic case. I mean, the, you know, the story of you know the Tudors of Mary and uh, and Elizabeth is terrible, harrowing story oh, yeah. of, of sisterly conflict and and religious racial war or whatever. You know, presumably you and have to be something, something like something two generations come. away from. Is that what it is? Because I, I don't know. I'm just guessing because if your parents were on the Titanic, you wouldn't be going to see that movie. Yeah, if your yeah. grandparents were on it, you probably might. Yeah. Interesting case of this, Blackadder, when they got round to doing the Great War, they had to, at the end, do it seriously. That's right, they did, with the over-the-top thing. With the over-the-top yeah. thing. The bit with the, 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 did you ever see the documentary about the making of that? It was on TV Absolutely again recently. Absolutely brilliant. And they talk about exactly that point, which is this has been played you know, 100% for laughs from the off. Uh, and now there are going to be no laughs in this at all. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's that sort of a preamble, isn't there, for about a minute or two, when they all talk about the, the general, they all accept the futility of going over the and top. And talk about uh, self-inflicted wounds. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Still managing to get a gag It's out. a little bit trite that it has to be pointed out to us, isn't it, really? You yes. know, we're now going to tell you, war is bad, kids, you know. Can I, I know you've been laughing at this, but war is bad. I think they know that. I think I'm right in saying that it's almost part of the syllabus now. People have actually shown that DVD in, 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 in primary school history classes. <laughs> yeah. to try and get people's attention. If I'm you, going to tell you something interesting. By the way, it's got Mr Bean in it, so if, you're going to listen. <laughs> if you go around First World War battlefields nowadays, which I, I do from time to time. I do too. If ever they're building a new museum, you know, the old museums are kind of full of gore and, you know, things dug out the ground and, you know. It's it's kind of it's thrills and strangeness and extremes and so forth. You go nowadays. If they've built a new museum, it's always a peace museum. You know, to be that they're, they're trundling primary school where's, children. Where's the fun in that? Yeah, no fun at all. <laughs> there's no no empty yeah. there's no empty shell cases. <laughs> where's, where's the laugh in that? No, where's the war wrong. picture library in that? <laughs> hey, come on, got in him. We're talking about war. Cold steals your pineapple. <laughs> No, not cold steel's a pineapple. Pine, cold steel's a medicine. What are we talking about? So things, you always, <laughs> things you always saw in speech balloons in, in War Picture Library. It was always Ak. Ak-tung. Ak-tung when they were, yeah, when they were being uh, surrounded. Donner and Blitzen. Donner and Blitzen. Got in Himmel. Got, got, no, in, cop, himmel. got in Himmel. Cop a pineapple, Fritz. Yeah. <laughs> that <was> Schnell. <laughs> Schnell. <laughs> Rouse. <laughs> and, and the ones where they went to Australia was it always Dusty well, Miller. Well, they, this one's for, no, it's, this one's for Dusty Miller. <laughs> when the Australians attacked the Germans and offed Fritz, they would say this one's for just Dusty Dusty Miller because because the Fritz had, the, the Fritz had already killed Dusty Miller. And before. if it, if you were fighting the Japanese, uh, you always had Banzai. Banzai, Banzai, yeah, of course. Banzai was a popular one. It's extraordinary stuff to see. Anyway. Um, I've I've been busy this week, uh, busy shouting at footballers. Uh, so I missed the Brits. Uh, Mark, you watched the Brits on television. I didn't go. But go on. Nobody asked me. No, tell me. Tell me <laughs> I didn't get an invite. Tell me what the high points were. I forgot it was on, so I saw the last ninety minutes of it. I think, uh, and I, I don't know if there were any high points. Um, I thought I was kind of <laughs> gripped. Were there any high points? I suppose so. I was gripped by various things. James Calden was presenting it. Playing it uh, straight, I understand. Playing it quite straight, but still uh, indulging in those uh, kind of that terrible desire to be controversial on FHM on national television. So you were encouraged to, um, I don't know how to put this really, to, um, to engage in acts of self-love 
when Rihanna came on stage. I thought it was slightly unnecessary. I'm too old for this, Dave, now. I'm too old to be told... It's all right. Yeah, it's all right with my well, bad back. So I'm too old to be told, you know, lads, it's all right to have a jodderall. No, <laughs> because didn't here's Rihanna. It's literally what he said, yeah. Well, not quite. Is this primetime ITV? On primetime ITV, he says, uh, he says, now's a good time to put uh, the old scatter cushion uh, on, your, on your lap. Uh, and, and, it's, and there's no harm in doing it. He won't go blind, you know. Uh, it's Rihanna. <laughs> this is terrible. So he's making jokes about masturbation but Celia still can't sing the original version of the song. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I thought, no, there was, I, what I thought was peculiar um, was that it appeared, when you look at the commercial hierarchy, as that thing tends to do, it doesn't really look at anything else. I mean, it, obviously it's not looking at breaking new acts, it's looking at, uh, at rewarding people who sold a lot of records and uh, saying lots about export. But um, when you looked at it, it seemed to divide into two completely self-contained categories. R&B which was mostly black R&B, apart from Plan B, but there's Plan B, Tony Temper, there was um, CeeLo Green, Rihanna, um, Jesse J. And then was uh, then there was the, the white music, which is now kind of universally kind of slightly bearded folk. <laughs> so you had um, Arcade Fire, who, was ter- who were terrific, I thought, uh, Laura Marling, Ellie Goulding, Mumford. So white music was just strumming acoustic guitars. Singing yeah, yeah, about the yeah. you know 18th century <laughs> black music was uh, taking all his clothes century. off. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's just, yeah. That's this is on. far better. This is far more entertaining. <laughs> a lot more sex in uh, 2011 than it was in exactly. Uh, so, so what you're saying is there's a, a de facto apartheid in popular music in Britain nowadays. That's how it came across. <laughs> yeah. Says so he trying to write a column for the day. Yes. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> can we possibly crowbar this into something commercial? That's right. <laughs> so it was interesting. And the other thing, the other thing got me is the expression "the journey." You know, that, that idea that people can't just talk about their lives now. Oh, it's got to be a journey. So Jessie J, who won some award for being best newcomer, choice, best newcomer, she talked about how being on this Crit- beautiful journey. And to get, your beautiful journey is just literally. I, I was born. I went to school. Yeah, I did yeah, some yeah. GCSEs. Yeah, yeah. I probably took a gap year yeah. in Thailand, sitting around listening to Bob Marley records. Your journey, in, in you know, journey I, you haven't got off the M25. Really, yeah, on your journey. No, you, you haven't You're not on the M1. Yet. And I just got over that. The take that came out. I made the one of the worst. But I don't mind take that really. I mean, they seem to be amiable fellows, don't they? And they also, I, I imagine some of them, at least one of them, quite charismatic. They come on and they do this kind of, their whole act is this kind of, we're just too sensitive to be able to talk, really. <laughs> we're kind of really sensitive guys. We're really in touch with our, you know, with a tender gender, actually. Yeah. And they, therefore they can't even elect a spokesman and they just stand there being really sensitive and shrugging. And talking about, this is the worst thing, talking about how their journey has only just started. Dave, that is bollocks. No one did. Their fucking journey has not just started. (laughs) They're trying to reactivate it and making a very good job of it. But they're making the point on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that I think Take That are going to be with us forever. They will. And, you know, they're going to be the longest-lasting act in popular music. Even though people may leave, they'll still come back. And it'll be a further chapter in the journey. Christ, you're right. The journey has only just started. I suppose the issue about about who does the talking must be very difficult now that Robbie Williams is back in the fold, because he's obviously the biggest personality. Yeah, because he makes... he can't be seen to be the guy out the front. He makes the point. There he is with his furrowed brow and his look of concern, and they're all there, and they're fabulously sort of dishevelled threads, and and just looking like... They're a bit battered, a little bit stubbly. Yeah, yeah. They're all out of bed. They've all been crossed in love. (laughs) You know, and and you just just think, why don't you just let Robbie Williams speak? The guy... That's really quite They've all funny. got crossed out tattoos. Yes, that's right. Yes, Gemma. Marley. Crossed out. Yeah, that's right. You know. I heart Gemma. I hate Gemma. To be so, clear, it's been changed. <laughs> that's right, yeah. There have been various uh, various queries uh, via Twitter about the uh, the Brit Awards. Uh, oh, right, go on. Which are some very interesting ones, actually. Welsh Benny, and this is a good question. That sounds He's, like a sweet. <laughs> 
Yes, it does when you've got a cough. You need yeah. a Welsh belly, yeah, Welsh belly. is what you need. <laughs> um, Decongestion. Uh, he says, how come there's no Lifetime Achievement Award at the Brits? Is there no one left to honour? Now, I didn't see it. Was there no Lifetime Achievement? Not this year, no. That's an odd. That's an odd admission. That must have. They must have really thought long and hard, because like that was it. Petrol Boys last year or the year before? I don't. I think it was Petrol Boys last year. Paul McCartney did it a couple of years ago, didn't he? Yeah, and uh, you're right. Well, there was the, there was a slight low point when I. That's Sting, I think, took his I, well, shirt no, off. That's not it? a particular low point as compared to the Boomtown Rats. Geldof reformed the Boomtown Rats, but with only one member that he's still talking to, <laughs> and they were the great triumphant. Finale, and that was right. I thought that was fairly. I you could see, it must of be a very difficult to do. Scraped, it must yeah. be, and I thought it was an interesting point there. It made an interesting point, Welsh Benny, about uh, about pop music. The, the the great what you want at the end of the Brits, presumably, is some kind of unifying factor, isn't it? You want something that's going to get everybody quite excited. Older people watching t- TV, younger people, all the industry well, being warm yeah, towards them. You and want, you run out of those people after a while. <laughs> you, you, I remember seeing Fleetwood Mac do it. And I remember thinking that was very good. Because all the people who liked Fleetwood Mac were thrilled to bits. And all the people who thought they didn't. Actually, thought, you know, I've had a nice yeah, I like I've had a couple tunes. of glasses yeah, yeah. of wine. I know these tunes. Yeah, I can't yeah. say, and there they are. They've bothered to turn up. Yeah. They're still alive. Terrific. Let's stand on the chair and, you know, punch the air a bit. And, and so the, there aren't any, there aren't many groups who've got that kind of catalogue that everybody's familiar with over a long period of time, but have kind of retained their luster in any way. You know, I suppose you could have, no disrespect, you could have the Human League or something like <laughs> yeah. that. The Cure. Okay, Cure, an interesting case. Cure probably offered, my guess, probably offered it and wouldn't do it. Maybe. You could yeah. have The Cure. They'd be very good. They would be good, actually. They'd but something wonderful. like The Human League. Madness? It, I, I, Madness not done. Madness, surely. No, surely that's a great idea. Madness to oh, interesting. I never thought of that. But I did. Th- I thought of the, the Folk Awards, which I was at last week, because the Folk Awards got that problem, that there really are only three huge acts. Oh, go on. And they are Steel Ice Band, Fairport Convention, and the Pentangle, <laughs> uh, who you love. All formed though. in the <laughs> 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. And, and, the, and so, you know, it's not like rock awards shows, which, uh, you know, I've been involved in organising. We know what it's like. You know, actually, it's very hard to run out of those people because you can have the Stones or you can have a member of the Stones or a Beatle or R.E.M. or Aerosmith or, you know, there's millions of groups that could get together and and really excite people. But actually, there are only those three. And, of course, the Folk Awards have had all three of them. Yeah. All three have reformed and all three have played and all three were absolutely wonderful. I was there for all of them. But what do you do after that? No, so this year, Donovan. Donovan, great, but it's it's not Steel Ice Band. Yeah. You know, it's Donovan playing uh, catch the wind. But isn't it the fact that groups invented over the last 25 years are not as big as groups invented before that period? Somehow. With <laughs> very few exceptions. Um, very few. Smith. Yeah. I mean, how long would take that being going? You know, it's a long time. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Is it, it's not 25, is it? No. Fraser's the expert on take that. No, no. Where did they form, Fraser? I have no idea. <laughs> he's got he's got rather crumpled pictures of them under his pillow. Um, <laughs> and we we got further further questions Sorry. about um, uh, uh, about about the Brits. And um, yeah, pencil squeezer says Laura Marling winning a Brit is that a triumph for art over artifice or a shallow attempt at credibility? I presumably means shallowness on the part of the Brits organisers. Who else would it go to? I, what did she win? I can't remember. I don't know. Best fame, British female, I think. She's very good, isn't she, Laura yeah, She's really good. And she sold a load of records. She sold a re- load of records. She's on the Big Stars really Latitude Festival. Yeah, she's really, really popular. She played the Folk Awards too. And she, in fact, she's one of those people who can actually probably play at virtually every event. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she can be a little bit pop, and she can be a little bit folk, and a little bit roots. Maybe not the Mobos. Not the Mobos. <laughs> 
yeah, well, that's another. Uh, so you know, could Plan B, could Plan B play at the Mobos? Oh, well, they wouldn't let him, would they? Because they? actually, my theory Why? is the Rolling Stones ought to play at the Mobos. You know, because if anybody's got music of black origin, it's the Rolling Stones. But that's not what it means at all. No, they would probably be not allowed in. No, no, it's <laughs> true. Um, so Andrew David Long says the Brits. Given that they are industry awards, do they have any real relevance to the man in the street? What do you think, Fraser? I think yes, because the man in the street goes and buys the Mumford and Sons album the day after. I think, is that, yeah. What do you think, Mark? Oh, ab- yeah, absolutely. I mean, don't they even sticker albums? They used to sticker them. If you, if you, if you went to HMV this morning yeah, and look at some uh, of those, they probably winner. would say. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit like uh, the power of, you know, the Sunday Times wine uh, club. Yeah. If you go to you know, Marks and Spencers, there's usually something that says that. If you say, well, the Sunday Times says it's all right. I do, the same I, price as I one. Do that. I yes, do it that. It must be terrible. T- can't do that oh, absolutely yeah. all the time. And why shouldn't people do that with records? I see no reason whatsoever. Um, and you know, I think people think there's a terrible conspiracy around the Brits, and there's not. You know, it's. It's an industry showcase, isn't it? It's trying to it say is, once think... a year, these are our big acts. You it's... remember those, don't you? It's what are you rewarding the, the, the bands who've made money for the industry, basically, isn't it? And what's wrong with it's that? No and I like the fact it's a high wire act, too. And it seemed to be almost live, actually. I mean, I don't know if it's absolutely live, but uh, there would seem to be moments where you'd think, God, I would have edited this. Yeah. You know, where Tiny Temper gets up and says, oh, I want to I want to share this award with, with my mate. Labyrinth. 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 Labyrinth got lost. Labyrinth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the irony. Poor old Labyrinth. He should have taken a, made a ball of string yeah. with him. Shouldn't he? And uh, that was funny. No, what I like is the high wire act that when Mumford came on, I can't remember if they before or after the Arcade Fire, who played the most fantastic set. And I mean, I'm very keen on that group anyway, but this was just brilliantly filmed, brilliant sound. Did you see that? Did you see yes, that? I did, yeah. Oh, my God, they're wonderful. And... Uh, on comes Mumford, and they choose to play four of them, gathered around with pretty much a single mic, two acoustic guitars, and sing this tremendously downbeat. It's still a statement, really. I, a thought, that, statement, I thought it was a mistake. Yeah, they should have brought on the, the whole group, really, and tried to... But well, they tried to do this little intimate thing, you know, just... The, uh, the Grammys... The, the opposite to Rihanna. The, the Grammys, they did the same thing. with the four, four of them standing around very close together and played an upbeat song, and the audience went nuts. Here, the audience did not go nuts. No, they didn't go nuts. Uh. So, uh, yeah... Because, again, it, it, it's remarkable they didn't go nuts, considering the applause track is usually played in, isn't it? <laughs> when I've been to the I know that feeling. You play the, applause the applause is the so loud, it's almost as if your hair's been blown <laughs> forward. You, you think around, there's I can, nobody clapping. I can hear deafening applause and nobody yeah, around me is clapping. It's because he's been played in, yeah. in the room, you know, yeah. so God knows what it's been, what's happening on the television. Mumford & Sons... Um, got various comments about them on Twitter. Uh, DP James 123 says, uh, how much do Mumford & Sons charge for conveyancing? <laughs> Which, I get the feeling, is less than affectionate. Uh, and then Ganglesprocket says, Mumford & Sons, I like them. Should I? Why do they provoke such hatred? I like them Should too. the Sutherland Brothers and Quiver be doing conveyancing as well? Are there lots of other groups then who... Uh, who There's something about Mumford & Sons that, that is simultaneously enormously popular uh, amongst the, the general public... And absolutely loathed amongst those who consider themselves not in the general public as well. <laughs> yeah, I, but I suppose it's because they are at great pains to come across as being earnest and soulful, aren't they? Uh, it, Mumford doesn't appear to have a dimension of humour to it. Am I right? I, I don't know I don't enough know. about them to say. I've only listened to the record, really. So I think I mean, people tend to, to take a kind of political stance against against groups like that who, who just seem to be 
Um, a little bit too earnest. A bit I also think there's a, a class thing comes into it as well because I think people don't like Mumford for the same reason they don't like cold players because they're posh boys. Oh, I see. Is that wrong? Is it? Well, I don't know. I think it's just a fact of life. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it it they have taken off in the states in a huge way, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Yeah. They're absolutely enormous in, in the states, and uh, I think it's interesting. It probably ties in a little bit with Dave Wibbley's uh, guest column in the in the current issue, where he talks about how you know. Lots of British acts don't like the idea of being popular. Yeah, Wibble has Whereas, been tremendously duffed up, hasn't he, from every quarter. <laughs> every point of the compass has been sending me emails about how terrible this column is, you know. I must admit, I do defend the man. He has a right to say what he has to well, say. Of course he does. Well, well. well, you only have to look at the stats to realise that over the last 30 years, British groups have not really, in a big way, made it overseas. And one of the reasons is they don't make themselves very audience-friendly. Explain to anyone who hasn't read it the gist of his column. I suppose the, the gist of his piece is that kind of post-punk, there emerged this, um, this kind of self-perpetuating little world of, of kind of indie groups where people perform for people who already like them and play on radio stations that are set up you know, to, to deal with them. And they don't like the idea of reaching out to a bigger audience because that involves... I don't know, compromises, embarrassment, all kinds of things. Uh, and uh, therefore, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I don't know, post-police, you'd probably think of other examples, I don't know, uh, mo- uh, lots of British groups have not been very big for, for export. You know, they're, they're perfectly tailored to fit into this little hothouse that we've got over here. But once they step away from it, they, they don't get very great... Traction. I wonder if it's an English thing. Well, or maybe right. a British thing. Is that, is that sort of glass... I remember when I occasionally used to sit in on the John Peel show in 1982, it was, and I became aware of just how much of a, of a little kind of glass ceiling, a little kind of bubble the John Peel show was. Yeah. At that particular time, there were hundreds of groups forming whose ambition was to get played once on the John Peel Absolutely. show and then split up. And if you split up and have no ambition beyond that, and you always had a name like Foreheads in a Fish Tank or Shoes for Industry or something. So in, that, in a sense, even the name advertised no, no great desire to, to get on the front of the Sunday Times, you know. Uh, but they, they would, they would, if you split up, then you can always be thought of as a glorious failure. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, gave, you were too, too pure and too, too unadulterated, too principled to in any way um, I saw an interesting thing this last week, actually, which is a subject you and I... It reminded me of a subject you and I have talked about many times in the past. I went to an industry showcase at the Jazz Cafe, and the HMV have been sponsoring these these gigs, the next big thing, you know, so it's loads of people have got record deals or whatever. And, uh, and it was Jonathan Jeremiah, who's a British uh, singer-songwriter, and he had a string quartet with him, uh, followed by the Piercers, who are two sisters from oh, yeah. Alabama. Um, and a group. And they were both really good. Difference was, Jonathan Jeremiah, and, and all of them, they kind of looked shy. You know, they all looked as if they weren't quite sure what it was that they ought to be doing. They looked vaguely embarrassed with each other, vaguely uncomfortable. Not a lot of eye contact with the audience. Pierce has come out, instantly they connect. You know what I mean? Because, like all American bands, they've played bars for... yeah. 20 years or whatever, you know. And they don't think there's anything wrong with saying to people, hello, we are so-and-so, this is lovely to have you here, this is a song from our new record, you know what I mean? And to go absolutely straight into it. And that, that kind of cultural difference 
was just perfectly illustrative for me, just in, in the space of about an hour. That, that extends, that American mindset extends to, to awards things very much too. The best speech the other night on the, on the Brits was by Arcade Fire. And the reason was because the English speeches tend to be, the British speeches tend to be point-scoring exercises. Yes. You take the piss the out of... people in the room, yes. Yeah, as somebody in the room you're going to take yes. the piss out of. The person you're walking up with, you know, it's, it, it's um, you know, Avril Lavigne or something, and you're massively embarrassed to be somehow put in the same postal district as her, so you've got to take the piss out of her. But Arcade Fire got up and they made a speech which is absolutely fantastic. There's a thing called Wim, isn't it? Wim. Win. Win, rather, Win. Absolutely brilliant. And... Um, he said, look, it's, it's really exciting to be here. He said, this means a great deal to us. And I think they really seem to mean it. Yes, it means great. He said, British music, English music, said, was, was the real inspiration for us. And he runs off a list of groups. He said, uh, the New Order, uh, the Smiths, Depeche. He just calls them Depeche. It's wonderful. So, Culture Club. And he said, I, said, I tell you what, we've just seen Boy George. He's over there. And I thought this was absolutely marvellous. It was completely uncynical. Yeah. I mean, much as I love, uh, you know, British bands' uh, reputation for being um, elliptical, bad-tempered, combative, um, uh, rebarbative, actually, a lot of the time, and throwing meringues at each other, and it makes the papers, it's really good fun. There's just something really sweet about these people actually saying, this is really terrific. Yeah. All our heroes are here. We're in the country that first you know, got us to pick up musical instruments in the first place. It's wonderful. Did you ever have that thing when you left school uh, that... Uh, when you left, you, you sort of had to come back like two weeks later in a car outside and play really loud music and, and meet some mate who was still at the school. Yeah, with if to smoke, come, chain smoking Benson yeah. and Hedges. That's what British music is like. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, all the way through. You know what I mean? it's, it's kind well, of, like, look at me now. Yeah. I want to graduate, but I don't want to graduate. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to grow up, but I don't really want to grow yeah. up. You know, so that, that kind of permanent tension. Sometimes it's charming and sometimes it's, it's not charming at all. I find that I was watching this absolutely brilliant uh, documentary on BBC was it BBC 4 was that reggae thing on was it BBC 4 they probably would be BBC reggae, 4 British, yeah. oh god it's brilliant and uh, it, it goes through um, you know, all of the whole evolution of black reggae music you know from right back to you know from Millie's My Boy Lollipops yeah, yeah. and you think oh they're not going to have any of the white groups in here you know because this is going to be a black story and that's great we're going to go and see we're going to see Black Uhura we're going to see Aswad you know we see Linton Quasi Johnson you see all those guys but they also have UB40 and the police and I was really glad that they did yeah. and it was absolutely it was one of the most revealing moments. They interview two members of the two members of the police who are not big enough to um, to, to not give them an interview. Uh, Andy and Stuart, and they are absolute Stuart. Stuart, it just basically says we pillaged reggae music. We didn't put anything back. You meant to put a bit back, aren't you? We didn't. Yeah. We just took it because. And I love the idea that there they were. They had these pop songs. And they just simply couldn't get arrested. Nobody was interested in them. So they had this idea that they would just try out one reggae song, see if the radio liked it. The radio likes it. Now they've got to just keep whacking away yeah, yeah, yeah. four more of these you know and uh i I, I thought it was very candid actually the word podcast from marconi to dlt to this so no sooner have i written a column which is in the current issue of a word about how glad i am to see that record companies have stopped dicking around with a three-month pre-release window during which they put a record out to radio but don't actually put it in the in the shops radiohead have gone one better by announcing on Tuesday that they're putting a record out on Saturday, is it? They read your column. They read sat down and wrote they 15 songs. You know, he's right. <laughs> We've been fighting they booked it for a studio. <laughs> yeah, they bought some sandwiches. They said, oh, you've got to admire this. It's brilliant. And it's out on Saturday. It's a, it's a fantastic thing, isn't it? I've ordered one. Well, my question is, why is it out on Saturday? Why did they not put it out on Tuesday? Why do you need Saturday anymore? 
Why, why, why do they still... I mean, it's still got a pre-release window. Why don't just go, it's out? Because they still want it to be an event, don't they? I, well, yeah, ah, interesting point, you so, see. But instead of a three-month event, now it's a it's five-month event. But that's Perfect. an interesting point, isn't it? You know, because the old, you know, the, the pre-release window, and for those who are not familiar with this, this kind of started in the 80s, I think. You know, prior to that, and I worked as a record plugger in the 1970s briefly, and Radio 1 would not play a record if it wasn't out in the shops. They might play it on the Saturday if it was going to be out on the Monday, but they wouldn't go any further than that. They certainly wouldn't play anything two weeks before it came out because they would say, why should we, we be doing that? We ought to be reflecting what people are buying, not, not telling them about things that they can't buy. But also, the record it has company, interesting ramifications for the, the BBC Charter, actually. Yeah, but yeah, the record company didn't want them to either. But, okay. Because the record companies didn't want them to, to use Piss up away. all that <laughs> yes. excitement, exactly all yeah. that excitement, when no one could physically go and buy one. But then in the 80s, suddenly something changed, in that they decided it would be a good idea to uh, release the records to radio, um, you know, a few weeks before. And to their amazement, BBC went along with this, and then the commercials all went along with this. And then what started as two weeks became, became four weeks, became six weeks. Became I think it's driven by the demand for exclusivity, isn't it? So one station goes, I need to have it first. And then because you're sending it out two weeks ahead, it has to That's be three true. weeks ahead. That's true. Then it becomes four. Yeah. And, it, and um, until he got to the ludicrous stage with, you know, I don't know, Oasis Records ten years ago, when, you know, <laughs> you would turn on the, on the radio, and they were starting to talk about it three weeks before they played it, which in turn was two months before it actually came out. So that's effectively unpaid pre-release advertising, isn't it? Seems like that to me. Well, this is this has now changed because... Um, uh, and the the Featured Artist Coalition have been instrumental in this, this organisation of um, singers and musicians, prominenting groups, trying to protect their rights. And, uh, you know, because they're making the point that in the, days of the, in the days of the internet, if you start playing a record on the radio and say to people you can't buy it, well, they, don't, they, they now have a choice. They can find a way to illegally download it, and they'll probably do that, you know. And they've got a good excuse if you haven't actually put it out. And so now, in a belated attack of good sense, the music industry have said, you know, there might be something in this, you know. So for a while, for a trial period, we're going to try actually releasing records to radio at the time that you can actually buy them in the shops. And how will they calibrate whether this trial has been successful, whether or not sales have increased? I suppose so, yeah, and, and, and the amount of radio play they get, you know, because it, they could be that if you give a record to a radio station... Certainly, if they've got an exclusive, and if you say the public can't get it yet, the radio station will probably play it more yes. than they ordinarily would. Of course, it's got more editorial value, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, Which is why all that stuff 10 years ago, talking about the new Oasis single, I remember that's been quite exciting, actually. I thought, I thought it was quite good. There was a real, uh, real, real sense of excitement. There yeah. was a real spirit, you know, head of steam. You don't think it was just damned irritating if you were a fan? I mean, it was trying to get people to go to shops to get something that they couldn't get. Wasn't it just... Taking the piss out of the public. It would have been... But yeah, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose it's good. It's, it's probably slightly better for the radio station. It's for the It's better for the radio the station and the record companies, but not for the yeah. public at all. Yeah. So, you know, the, re- the public appear to have taken their revenge on this thing by, by being quite apathetic I about what's taking the record industry so long. You would have thought that if you were advertising daily a product you couldn't buy... I, nowhere else does that apply. Although, to be fair, actually, it does in the film industry, doesn't it? You know, because they, they now... Start talking about movies months before. Talking, you can't actually. watch it, can you? You can't. Well, you might see clips. Yeah. 
And you've got things like YouTube. You know, you, you, you will see clips very, very early nowadays. But, you know... But that's a very cleverly orchestrated drip campaign, isn't it? I suppose. Well, they appetite. would say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, King's Speech, you, you were getting bombarded with stuff about the King's Speech at a long time before it uh, was available. You've raised the subject. Swift Detour, oh, this right? week, went to see the King's Speech. Oh, well, what do you think? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, right. Am I the only person who's no, seen it? No, I'd love yes. to see it. Apparently, I'm the only it's fantastic. Oh, right, okay. no, go on, no, go on, no, go on. It's, I can't believe it. It's a very ordinary film. It oh, Dave, no, 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 no. The no, people no. love it. Well, people are people wrong. People are loving it. People are wrong. People, the, the people are wrong and Hepworth is right. <laughs> That's never happened before, is it? What's going on here? There's nothing to love. It's kind of all right. It's a three. It's a three-hander play. That's what it should be. It'd be a brilliant play with you know the king, the queen, and the and the speech therapist. Really good play. It's got no point of being a film at all. And I was intrigued by the fact that my children all went to see it separately and all really enjoyed it. Which I, I was. Why did they surprised. enjoy it? Well, my theory is that they didn't know how the story was going to turn out. You know, so like all movies, they build up tension. You know, before his stutter was going to get worse, it's going to get over. You know, or is it is it going to be? He gets is it going to be assassinated in the height of his his speech or something like that? This you know. is a damning indictment of today's educational system, Dave. If your if your children don't know what happened to George the Six, well, he, was he assassinated? You, no, <laughs> I don't think he was. <laughs> no, but my point is that if you know, worry, if you know either. the story. You think, well, there's no tension in this story because it kind of turned out all right, didn't it? And uh, I just thought it was all right. I thought it was perfectly acceptable. And go and see it by all means. And I kind of quite enjoyed it. But I thought, why this thing is walking away with all the Oscars? I do not understand. Particularly in the same uh, same year as uh, the Social Network, which I thought was an astoundingly good film. Which I bought yesterday for thirteen pounds. Oh well, you, it's sitting by weekend? the sitting by the player. I can't oh, wait. You, oh, you love I it. can't wait. You love it. Thirteen pounds. You went into a shop. Didn't yeah. you? <laughs> I went to a shop to buy that for thirteen pounds. <laughs> well, yeah. My wonderful shop, uh, Dada in Chiswick. It's about an independent uh, record shop. It's fantastic, and they go in and they're so enthusiastic. You just go in and say, "Got to hear this." You know, they, they, have, they have sort of C.W. Stone King records before they're even released. How do they get them? I don't know. Yeah, right. Brilliant. Um, just, just one thing about the, um, the King speech. Is, are you following the story of the um, pre-Oscars um, uh, sort of slur campaign? Slurring who? Well, this is fascinating. Uh, I didn't actually know about it until I was listening to um, uh, Old Mate. I've completely forgotten his name now. Not Mark Lamar. Um, film critic. Got, got a quiff. Plays the bass uh, bullfinger. Mark Camode. Mark Camode. Mark Camode was on the Today programme. <laughs> Matey. Uh, <laughs> who is very... Yeah, you'll be I have to show. say, he had absolutely <laughs> nothing to say about the film at all. All he could say was well, how this guy was going to get an Oscar. Which doesn't make very interesting editorial, really. I wanted a bit of perspective on exactly... I wanted your question answered, actually, which is why is this is film it, so popular? Seen, he couldn't say. Well, all he nine, could say is going to win Oscar. Nine, so nine, I know, Mark, nine, Mark, we know nine, that. Nine, but why film coverage on the TV and radio, and I uh, point and finger at the TV and radio nowadays particularly, it's nothing to do with damn films at all. It's all to do with how successful they it's are. Precisely it's precisely right. You I, know, is it a story? How did so-and-so get on with so-and-so? Who directed it? Yeah. Who helmed it? All this bollock from people who pretend yes, that the they worked third act was enormously you know, disappointing. God, I couldn't agree more. You know, what about the story? What about the stuff that human beings go going to the cinema See, that's what I respond to. That is that's what they talk about. Yeah. That's what they talk about in the pub afterwards. Yeah. They don't go, you know, do you think the helmer of this will be up for a gong come Oscars <laughs> time? They don't give a bollock <laughs> Exactly, it's like the Grammys. I mean, obviously, my email at the moment is full of people telling me, um, you know, various PRs, who, who, which of their artists is what I'm going. I literally don't care. Yes. I'm sorry, Fraser. I could not no. possibly care less. 
I, why would I possibly run out and buy someone's record because the drummer got a Grammy? You know, I just, I just, I'm just not all the producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but the thing that uh, Mark Lamar said, which I thought, Lamar, what the hell's he done? Commode! Lamar was commode, sorry. You'll be invited uh, back to the show. I'll be a bit No, he, 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 said, he said that there was a currently, uh, and I researched this and found out he was right, there is a campaign to discredit George VI, which he said on National Radio 4, on the state programme, was a deliberate policy to make it less possible Likely to, win the to Oscar- give a man who appeared to have anti-Semitic yeah. um, feelings yeah. and a pro-Nazi um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, affections um, a, 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 an Oscar. Which is not unbelievably uh, complicated thing. Like Jewish, well, yeah, it's nothing to do with the movie. Do you know it's nothing why? to do with the, the actors. speech will walk the Oscars, and I'll tell you for why... Because they always give it to the person who's acting with someone who has some kind of physical impediment. And not entirely. The majority of members of the Academy, voting members of the Academy, are retired. You know, because if you've been a cinematographer or a marketing person or whatever, you still get invites to screenings, you get sent stuff. You know, you don't work any longer. And so they are always won by the films that older people are likely to go and see. Because they'll go and see The King's Speech, because, you know, it's a natural thing for somebody in their 50s, 60s, 70s to go and see. Uh, whereas if they go and see The Social Network, they think, what is going on here? Explains the success of On Golden Pond all those years well, ago. Well, yeah, yes, uh, it certainly does. Schindler's List, any, yeah. anything like that that's kind of elegiac and, you know, looking back, it will always do well at the Oscars. No wonder, dude, where did I park my car? It never, <laughs> got, never, never got a gong. Now, what's the name of the film about the guy cutting off his arm on the mountain? Oh, 127, 127 hours. 127, that's a great 127 film. hours. Uh, Kerry oh, Shell told me yesterday they walked past the screen on the green. We were showing 127 hours, and on the marquee outside, he said, 127 hours, armless fun. Yeah. Who wouldn't give their right arm to play that part, etc.? <laughs> yeah. I oh, like That's a great film. Oh, I'm not Oh, my that. God, that's a brilliant film. The Word Podcast. It passes the time. And here's the other thing. I go into um, the chemist that says some Beecham's powder pieces. We don't make them anymore. What? Don't be ridiculous. He said, we don't make Beecham's with hot lemon, Beecham's capsules. I said, no, no. I said, just want Beecham's powders. That's the stuff. Don't make them anymore. What kind of a the world is it? powder, they don't make The it. powder. I've got a wife... Uh, my, I've got a wife. Surely I got a call from my wife. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, about two hours later, saying, I'm in Sainsbury's. They've still got a few left. I bought, she said, I bought enough to last us five years. <laughs> she said, we've got a huge stockpile of Beecham's powders. <laughs> Bring on the next cold, I can't wait. Why have they stopped God, making Beecham's powders? It was a design classic. What was the not to like about Beecham's powders? You used to like unfolding you the paper. You get them in little pale form, you get them in capsule form, but the little paper, the yeah, exact yeah, thing, yeah. you tip it in the tooth. Is it because it looks like cocaine, is that? Probably, maybe that's it. Maybe it, people it start snorting be. it. Should have done. We can't really snort it. That's, that's, that's defeats itself. It's got a blocked nose. How can you possibly snort it? If you ever want to look at the ludicrous variety of products, you know, talking of your Beecham's powders with your lemon and whatever, the place to go and look, I do advise this, is the shampoo aisle in a major supermarket. Have you ever actually... You speak of someone with two daughters. <laughs> you must have spent a lot of time at the yeah, shampoo I'm aisle. Just okay, yeah, I have occasionally been sent and yeah. instructions to get so-and-so. And told you bought the wrong and therefore one. you have to go and read everything. It's mind-boggling, the amount of different shampoo, the, the variety of different shampoos. It's staggering. There's vegetarian shampoo, you know. There's vegan shampoo. I saw an advert on TV last night for a thing that's apparently very successful in Germany, which is caffeine shampoo. And there you go. Why? I'd imagine it's some kind of invigorating... <laughs> How can it invigorate? Your, your, your hair stands up. <laughs> you can't absorb 
uh, stuff through your hair. Can I, you? I don't know. Oh, hair are your aerials. Oh, don't. You can be poisoned through your hair. No, you? you can. It works the other way. Wasn't somebody poisoned through the hair? Yeah, it works the other way because traces of things that you have consumed can, can be read way. in That's your true. in your hair. Because it's, it doesn't work in reverse. But so anyway. anyway. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> what are we talking about? Back to about? the issue. Here. Christ. <laughs> uh, further questions from the massive Jonathan Strahan, if I've pronounced that Strachan. correctly. Strachan, Must sorry. Be Strachan, wasn't it? Without the C, but without... Oh, right. Oh, yeah. OK, well... So how do spell it? Strachan. And I may have spelt it wrong myself. Strawm. Could be Strawm. Could be Strawm. Is he, if he's a member of Mumford and Sons. Let us know. Show. Yes. <laughs> In future, give us phonetic instructions yeah. to pronounce your name. Uh, Jonathan, he wants to know, is it time to buy a turntable? Fraser, is it time to buy a turntable? Well, having bought one in January, I'd obviously say yes. Mark, is it time to buy a turntable? Uh, well, obviously the answer is yes. Uh, I, I have one in operation and have for many years, and there's nothing that gives you more pleasure than playing intensified records. The old Scar albums, you know, right, two, yeah, I've been yeah, playing yeah, those yeah, to yeah, death, yeah. and also CB200 by yeah. Dillinger. And my, my Why does reggae sound so good on turntables? It does. It, it, does. It, 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 does. And I'll tell you one of the reasons. It's because the rhythm section doesn't hurt like it does on CD. I was thinking this last week. I was listening to some loud records on, on record, and the... You know, the, the drums are not as sharp. They're not, they don't yeah, they're not compressed. You. They're not that's, compressed that's in the same way. Reggae just is it's absolutely you built to be played on the yeah, vibration. And I love the fact that, as you say, the, 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 the big speaker cabinets start to start to wobble. Well, you've got a sound system in the top of your house. Yes, yeah, sound system. Yeah, it's like reggae sound class. <laughs> Me versus Yellow Man at nine o'clock every evening. Yeah. I'm a little Scientist worried. is coming tomorrow. I'm a little worried that I've been suckered into buying one in the sense that it come at a time when... CDs are available for two ninety nine on Amazon. All of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden, the same things at eight times the price. No, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But at least you feel self righteous about it, and you know you can proud of yourself. And um... so, my great joy this <laughs> my great joy this week was uh, my, my time for playing vinyl is Saturday morning. It's my time, you know. Go to the top of the house, get a couple of records, and play them. And I was listening to "There Goes Rhyming Simon" on vinyl. Do you play it loud? Not wildly loud, no, but you could hear it around the house, probably. And God, it's, it's a good record. I had an interesting reviewer's dilemma read Paul Simon, actually, this morning. And I've written a review of Paul Simon's record, which I do think is really, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was listening Take to it again, coming to uh, uh, the office this morning, and I thought, this is even better than I thought it was. You know, because... When you get a record that you're listening to that you really like, you listen to it a lot of times, and therefore your appreciation of it yeah. grows really yeah. fast. While, and, you, and it may have grown after you've written the review. Whereas a record that you don't like, you play less times, and you never revisit it. So you, you don't go back and revisit a negative opinion. You might revisit a, a, you know, a, a, yeah, a positive opinion. And I found myself walking down the street this morning thinking, I could write another paragraph, actually. About this. And anyway, very good record. Yeah, I'm sure I think it's is. very good. Uh, further questions. Andy Danson, which live show would you travel back in time to see? Bruce, 1978, uh, Bob Dylan, 1966, or the Rolling Stones, 1969? Do I have to choose one of those? Uh, you can choose another one if you Clarence like. Clarence Clearwater Revival, 69. I was there. You were at Royal Albert Hall. Clarence Clearwater Revival. That's <laughs> <laughs> on, our, on our internet site. <laughs> Oh, which one would you, Mark? Uh, I'd probably Dylan because I'd like to. Be, I would. I'd like to be at the uh, Olympia show in '66 in Paris, right? Because that's the one where Francois Hardy is in the front row. <laughs> I love that story. You know, you're you're gonna, when you're he sees, choose where you sit. It's well. brilliant. He sees Francois Hardy plays the acoustic set, 
and he sees Francoise Hardy sitting in the front row, and he's already said some nice things about it very publicly. And he says to the promoter, I will not, I will not go back on stage until I've met Francoise Hardy. And she, they have to go and get her. Very they good. get her from the audience and bring her backstage, and he will not go. Isn't that wonderful? Imagine being such a big deal that you could do that. Yeah. Very good. I would have taken the Rolling Stones in 1969, actually. It's 1969, Mick Taylor's uh, in the group. You see, it's the golden period. It's now, of course, being re-evaluated as being a classic period. Thanks to us. We've done (laughs) that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And the final question from uh, 735 songs is, uh, again, on the horns of our dilemma, Mark Ellen, Todd Rundgren or Brian Wilson? Todd Rundgren or Brian Wilson? That's a ridiculous question, isn't it? Brian Wilson. It is. Obviously Brian Wilson. Todd Rundgren. Come on. I mean, that, tell me the number of great songs Todd Rundgren's written. A I few. Know, I, I, a few. I saw Todd Rundgren once at Nebworth Festival, 75. I think he was wearing a one-piece zip-up jumpsuit. Rather suggestive one. Yes, I can remember. He had a bowl yeah. of fruit down the he had. He did indeed. He was smuggling a, <laughs> a marrow <laughs> through kabudgie, through customs. <laughs> But, you know, Brian Wilson has just written so many great songs. The interesting thing about Brian Wilson is he wrote nearly all the great songs in a very short period of time. It's about 18 months. Yeah. You know, and the bit of of Brian Wilson's catalogue that is insufficiently appreciated, I would say, is the second side of Beach Boys Today, which is not included in the golden period, but it's all ballads, and it's absolutely brilliant. Please let me wonder. This is presumably inviting us to compare that they're Production skills rather than uh, songwriting oh, skills. Totally different. Brian Wilson, totally different kind of production. He was standing in there with the, the wrecking crew and a string section telling them what to do. He wasn't kind of dicking around in post-production, was he? You know, it's totally different era. You know, when Brian Wilson produced records, there were, were records made in a fundamentally different way than they were by the time Todd Rundgren was making records. Todd Rundgren made a record with XTC once. Uh, I, I think somebody at Virgin thought it would be a very good idea. Do you remember that? They were packed yeah, yeah. off and it was an absolute disaster. I don't think it ever came. Did it come out? Yeah, it came remember, out. Maybe it came, came out. out. It fell out badly. Yes, I don't. It really had nothing. I don't think they got on very well. Didn't, no. Well, that's about all we've got time for. You've got to get the West End, Fraser. Um, uh, Facebook, Fraser. What are you going to the West End for? Uh, I'm going to visit New Zealand House. Well, why are you going there? They canter. Are you going to visit New Zealand? They, they canter occasionally. All the New Zealanders in Britain, they all have to arrive oh, you on New one Zealand, Friday. It's like they're reporting for parole. After yeah, they, of course they have to go. go yeah. They give them all a new All Black shirt. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and some bloody cake. We have a new Facebook page. We've, we've moved the Facebook podcast page, haven't we? Is yes, that right? we have. And uh, if you go to facebook.com forward slash word magazine, uh, you'll find our new page, which is going to be filled with pictures and videos and all sorts of things. Okay, I'll do that myself. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, go to wordmagazine.co.uk or apply at your new... Listen to this Acast show ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.